Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The whole drive over there, just I can't even explain how violent this headache was, but I just dealt with it. It's just something that I, I always dealt with. From the parking lot to the venue, I felt the pressure hit a point where I literally heard a pop in my own skull. It was just like this little snap. And for a brief second, it felt good. I was just sick. I was throwing up, but we thought it was because of what I ate. My significant other needed the studio where I was laying down in for a lesson. So she, was, she told me, she said, hey, go lay down in the living room. And I said, okay. She did her lesson. She came out and I was standing in the kitchen. She looked at me. She said, hey, I thought I told you to lay down in the living room. And I said, I am in the living room. She said, oh, this is this isn't normal. This is there's something wrong here. So it was right then that she took me to the hospital. The most beautiful moment I've ever had in life. And no matter how difficult and rough things get, I'll always go back to that one moment. It was getting in the car after being discharged. And I was like a dog. I had my head out the window. And I remember there was a stop, like we pulled up to a red light and I looked out and I just saw wind rustling the leaves of a tree and I broke down immediately in tears. Nobody understood what I was going through. Nobody understood the fatigue, the fog, the feeling of being in a new body and brain. No, nobody understood it. There's one thing about having a brain injury, unless you've had one, there's no possible way that you could ever know what it's like. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories. It's the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. The basal ganglia is a collection of cell bodies that lies deep in the center of the brain. This message center controls many vital bodily functions, including movement, personality, muscle control, sensation, and some aspects of thinking. In this episode, we hear from Joe Borges from Los Angeles, who suffered a stroke at the age of 39. I existed. I was really, really good at existing. I didn't really live any life until actually after my brain injury. I just kind of got through my days. I grew up in a very abusive household, mentally and physically. Moved around a lot as a kid. I was never really taught to process anything. So I was always taught to, oh, if you have a problem, just shove it down. Don't inconvenience anybody with that. So that's kind of what I did into my 30s. I never really lived life the way life was meant to live. I just kind of existed. A lot of stress, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. There was no end in sight for any of that. It was literally just a, a constant haze of stress and me pretending everything was fine, shoving it down, putting a smile on my face and moving forward. So that's what life was before my stroke. For years, I like my entire adult life, I suffered from migraines. I just assumed because I grew up very poor, so I didn't go to the doctor. We got sick enough, we went to the emergency room, or we just dealt with it. 
I just assumed the whole time that my migraines, was, oh, well, they run in my family. It wasn't that. It was blood pressure. Turns out high blood pressure runs unchecked. High blood pressure runs in my family. I had the headache of all headaches and it, it was, I just dealt with it for years until one day it was too much. And my, basically my brain exploded. <laughs> What's funny is one of the, the main deficits I have post-stroke is short-term memory. I don't have a lot of short-term memory and there's a, a lot around that time that I don't remember. I remember the second I had my stroke, I was in a parking lot and I had, you've probably heard this a million times, I had the headache of all headaches. My significant other is a singer-songwriter. She was performing at one of you know my favorite little dive bar spots. So I didn't want to miss it. Her, her father was in town and I just really wanted to, to see the show instead of staying home. So from the, the whole drive over there, just I can't even explain how violent this headache was, but I just dealt with it. It's just something that I, I always dealt with. From the parking lot to the venue, I felt... The pressure hit a point where I literally heard a pop in my own skull. It was just like this little snap. And for a brief second, it felt good. The pressure was gone. I felt like I could breathe again. And then another second later, every muscle fiber in my body turned to jelly. And I felt like I was a baby deer learning to walk again. That's the second that my basal ganglia ruptured. I felt it. And then after that, I don't really have much memory for the next few months. It's all secondhand information. I didn't go home. I was always a very stubborn person. And again, the, the way that I grew up, I just dealt with things. So I went inside the, the, the venue and I finished the show. What was told to me is I just kept saying I had a bit of a headache. So I remember everybody telling me I had a couple of beers and I did something that nobody should ever do. I had an aspirin with a couple of beers because I'm not very bright. And again, I just thought it was a headache. Went home, wasn't feeling well didn't go to the hospital because again, I didn't do that. I just didn't do that until way late the next day. I think it was almost a full day or so later where I was just sick. I was throwing up, but we thought it was because of what I ate. My significant other needed the studio where I was laying down in for a lesson. So she was, she told me, she said, Hey, go lay down in the living room. And I said, okay. She did her lesson. She came out and I was standing in the kitchen she looked at me. She said, Hey, I thought I told you to lay down in the living room. And I said, I am in the living room. She said, Oh, this is, this isn't normal. This is, there's something wrong here. So it was right then that she took me to the hospital. They did all the scans and I'm like, Oh yeah, he suffered a hemorrhagic stroke. I have zero memory of this. It's just what's been told to me. So I was pretty, I guess, functional for someone who had a major hemorrhagic stroke. I spent a month and a half in the hospital. And again, zero memory. I have little flashes here and there of the hospital stay of being helped up, of being exhausted and tired and frail. That's about it. It was a lot of just, it's a lot of blackness. It's a lot of emptiness uh, for the first few months after my stroke. The next thing that Joe can clearly remember is his journey home from hospital. The most beautiful moment I've ever had in life, and no matter how difficult and rough things get, I'll always go back to that one moment. It was getting in the car after being discharged. And I was like a dog. I had my head out the window. And I remember there was a stop, like we pulled up to a red light and I looked out and I just saw wind rustling the leaves of a tree. And I broke down immediately in tears. It was the most beautiful sight I had ever seen. And I just felt that I was going to be all right. You know, that no matter what's going on in the world, the world is pretty beautiful and so is life. So that moment I will never forget. And that's the first real moment I remember after my stroke. 
I could barely walk. It was a, a struggle. I was in a new body. I was in a new brain. So I did uh, at home um, occupational physical therapy for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did outpatient uh, physical therapy for another year. And then another uh, year or so of occupational therapy afterwards. But being home, it was strange because I was so frail. I hadn't walked in a few weeks. So I, I had to have a cane, which is something that I really wasn't a big fan of. So I didn't necessarily want to use it ever. I needed help with everything. I could never be left alone. My significant other, she would call Joe sitters and I would always have somebody in the house if she had to, to go do something, if she had you know, a, a singing gig or she had to, to go somewhere to perform or the store, I always had someone with me. So that was really strange for me because I, I was an adult. She was so afraid that I was going to fall down and hurt my head. And I wasn't the, the most patient of people in the world because I wanted to do more. I'm standing, so I want to walk. I'm walking, so I want to jog. I'm jogging, so I want to run. So I had no patience. And the one thing I didn't want to ever use was my cane. And that was a horrible idea. Don't ever be like me. Be better. Use your cane because you need it. I felt that if I accept the fact that I need this cane, that that's just what my life is going to be. It's actually the opposite. I was just in a lot of pain resisting the fact that I needed it in that moment. So the, the first time I was left alone, it was a few months after being home and it was before she left. She said, use your cane, use your cane. If you need to use the restroom, if you need to get something from the kitchen, please use your cane. I said, okay. As soon as she left, I was like, I'm not going to use this. I, I, I don't, I don't want this. So I took a couple of steps and I fell so hard. I fell so badly. And I just remember it's that moment in the movies where somebody's on the floor and they look up and they're like, how did I get here? And my whole recovery and life kind of flashed before my eyes in that moment. I'm on the floor like a turtle. I can't get up. And it's because I didn't accept the fact that I needed a cane in that moment. So it was then where I decided, you know what? Okay, I need a cane right now. It's not forever. It's right now. And then I did everything in my power from that moment to stop using that cane. I hated that cane. Uh, But life was strange. Life was, was weird. It was different. It was a blur. And I guess the biggest feeling would be isolation in that time. Post brain injury, it's the most isolating uh, feeling I've ever had in my life. The isolation and the loneliness doesn't come from not having people around because I had a lot of people around. It's from not being understood. Nobody understood what I was going through. Nobody understood the fatigue, the fog, the feeling of being in a new body and brain. Nobody understood it. There's one thing about having a brain injury, unless you've had one, there's no possible way that you could ever know what it's like. So I, I was just very, very isolated. That's, that's how I felt. Basically, my first year after recovery, I didn't really have a lot of others to connect with because at physical therapy, when I was going to outpatient, everyone comfortably in their 60s and 70s. And, you know, I'm in my 30s. I'm like, that's, it's okay, we can talk, but we can't really talk about like my normal day-to-days. Like you've lived a lot of your life. I'm still, you know, figuring a lot of stuff out. So there there was a bit of a disconnect there. So a lot of isolation, a lot of loneliness and a lot of sadness until a random, a meeting at a party. I was at a party, a friend's party. And I was just telling my story, talking to a few people there. And there was this one girl, she was there and she was just staring at me just really intensely the whole time while I told the story. And then afterwards, she came up to me and and she said, wow, everything you said, I I completely understand. She said a few months ago, was about a year ago, she said, I suffered a major concussion from a car crash. 
And she said, nobody understands. It was that moment where you look in her eyes, she looked in mine. I was like, oh, you, you hear me. You don't, you're not just listening to the word, like you hear what I'm saying. We met for coffee and we have been basically inseparable ever since. That was my, the co-host of my podcast, Lauren. She was the first person I met that understood what I was going through. It was in that moment where I truly felt that I was going to be able to make it, that there's someone who gets it. It's a very simple thing. You just want someone to understand what you're going through. You want people to listen to you, yes, but you want people to understand you. And I found someone that understood me. And it was that moment about a year of isolation, sadness, and loneliness. I've never felt isolated, sad, or lonely since. Coming up, we hear how, for Joe, the stroke has been a life-changing experience. Nothing will show you what life truly is than when you're so close to losing it. Since my stroke, I've fundamentally changed every aspect of my life, the way that I think, the way that I function, the way that I eat, everything. Life is so beautiful. And he offers his advice for caregivers. They need just as much support. There are support groups for caretakers, caregivers, family and friends reach out to others find out who your survivor find out who they're talking to talk to their family members talk to their their sisters their cousins their mother their father because they need just as much support as you when i say we're all in this together we are sincerely all in this together let's hear how joe set up his own podcast series the neuro nerds i started the podcast after that first meeting with my co-host we just sat down we had coffee and we just had the greatest conversation i'd ever had in life at that moment. And it felt good. It was what I desperately craved and needed. So I decided, hey, you know what? We should do this selfishly for ourselves. We should do this every week. We should meet. We should start a podcast. And you know, we came up with the title, The Neuro Nerds, because we both had, both had neurological issues and we're both nerds. We talked about fan fiction. We talked about gaming and Marvel Cinematic Universe, superheroes. So it was just such a beautiful time. So we talk about recovery, but not your typical recovery show. We talk about recovery through everything nerdum, the hero's journey. We try to focus on the positive. There's a lot of, you know, uh, podcasts, there's a lot of shows that talk about just the negative impact that it's had, which is it's life altering. It is, but we made it back. We lived. So I try to really focus on the positive side because I feel with a positive attitude, we can do anything in our recovery. And that's what we focus on uh, at the Neuro Nerds. Nothing will show you what life truly is than when you're so close to losing it. Since my stroke, I've fundamentally changed every aspect of my life, the way that I think, the way that I function, the way that I eat, everything. Life is so beautiful. I kind of feel like us brain injury survivors, we're evolved. We're butterflies. We used to be caterpillars. We used to crawl around the dirt. Everything seemed very dark and, and, and dirty and sad. But now we're soaring through these beautiful blue skies. So I I feel all the things that I used to stress out about, all the things that I used to worry about, all of the the things that were so weight, so weighty in my life. It was it was petty. It it was I look back and I'm like, why was I upset about that? Why was I fixated and focused on that? Wow. So now I just look at how beautiful things are. And look, life isn't perfect. It's not. It's not always happy and, and, and rainbow and, and sunshine. Um, it can be really dark, but that's only a small piece of it. It's the beautiful thing about time is things can change from one moment to the next. And that's the one thing that I know now and I feel every single day after my stroke is 
it's not just the negative. Bad things happen, yes, but it's what you focus on. So I just choose to focus on the positive and what can be instead of what didn't happen. Joe's podcast has had a hugely positive reception from listeners with brain injuries. To be honest, at the very beginning, it was too much. It was, it was overwhelming. And I remember after I think it was two episodes we released, I said, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. I, I also had my blog out, rushing stories. I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. The day I decided that I, I can't do it anymore, a woman reached out to me and she shared um, a story about her husband, similar age. And she said he had a major stroke just like you. And she said, seeing your recovery, hearing you and your co-host talk about your recoveries gives us hope. And I just, I broke down completely. It was, it was that moment I realized, wow, this isn't, this isn't about me. It's not about Lauren. It's not about our recoveries. This is bigger than us. This is about the community. So it was, I, I won't ever stop doing the podcast. I won't ever stop sharing, advocating for the community because it's not just about me. So many other people are impacted. So um, it picked up steam. Uh, we're now on episode 170 something. Uh, and we're in over 40 countries. So uh, the, the impact has been pretty, pretty vast. And, and uh, I'm amazed and feel blessed that I've been able to connect with and help so many in the community. Joe thinks that stroke survivors should always try to reach out to someone. Think Nike. I tell every survivor this. Think Nike. Just do it. There's always a reason. There's always a, an excuse. There's always something that you have in your head that you're not well. I, I don't want to bother somebody or, well, they're not really going to care or are they even going to respond back to me? There's so many people out there that want what you want, that need that connection and that understanding. It's life-changing to talk to a fellow survivor, somebody who can truly hear you and understand you. You need that support. You don't know how much you need it. You Just as much as you need physical therapy, just as much as you need occupational therapy, speech therapy, you need survivor therapy. You need to be able to speak with somebody who's going through it. It's invaluable. I cannot stress that enough. Any survivor, you need to connect with other survivors. It's beautiful for you. And it's also beautiful for the other uh, survivor. We, we are all in this recovery journey together. And that's how we're going to get through this wild recovery. And that's together. And same thing for the, the caretakers and the family members and the friends. It's isolating for them too. They're dealing with this without the brain injury. They, they, they're seeing a loved one go through something they can't possibly ever understand. They need just as much support. There are support groups for care, caretakers, caregivers, family and friends. Reach out to others. Find out who your survivor, find out who they're talking to. Talk to their family members. Talk to their, their sisters, their cousins, their mother, their father, because they need just as much support as you. When I say we're all in this together, we are sincerely all in this together. Although Joe's stroke was serious and his recovery's been lengthy, he's used his experience to begin a new chapter and is making a difference to the lives of other brain injury survivors with his podcast, The NeuroNerds. Check it out. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I went in for surgery and during surgery is when I experienced the stroke. And they didn't initially know that it was a stroke that had happened. I know that I came out of surgery with paralysis in my right side. And they, I think, came to the conclusion that it was most likely 
due to having a seizure during surgery. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Stroke Stories. Please do rate and comment on the episodes and do recommend them to friends and contacts to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, we'd love to hear it. Please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,